In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God in heaven. It was good to see you guys. Uh, it's been a long time. And um, I'm thankful that we're able to start up again doing some activities in person. God willing, it can continue and uh, increase more and more. Um, I was uh, asked to speak about the topic of uh, mental illness. Um, I'm definitely by no means an expert in mental illness. I feel mentally ill myself. Um, but uh, there is one kind of story uh, from the Bible that always stuck out in my mind as being an example of a person who should have been very mentally ill, but was not. And I always look back at that story and think, why did he come out of like his situation, which maybe in our modern times, we would expect that somebody goes through anything like that and would have PTSD and have all kinds of other uh, problems. He came out of it pretty emotionally healthy. Right. And and how is it that his relationship with God has a big impact on uh, on that? OK, so that person is you guys want to wager a guess who that is. Joseph, because his name is here somewhere, right? Yes, Joseph, Joseph. Wrighton. So I'm going to this is a completely discussion format. Um, uh, I'm going to ask you guys a lot of questions and I want to hear from you. What do you think? So we can kind of go through this, you know, all of us. At one point or another in our life, maybe right now, even go through very stressful situations, situations that seem to completely like change the way that we see the world, change the way we see other people, make us feel extremely stressed, make us feel afraid, nervous, anxious, get panic attacks, and so on and so on. Right. And when when you read about everything that happened in the life of Joseph, you could very clearly see that this should have all been happening to him. Okay. So we're going to look at what happened to him in his life. We're going to look at the way that he responded to it and what happened to him. At the end. So first question I want to ask is, how would you characterize Joseph's childhood and relationship to his brothers? Go ahead. He was followed by, by who? By the father, right? By his father, Jacob. He was treated very specially, right? He was given a special coat to wear. He was always given special preferences, special privileges, and so on. Okay. What else? His brothers hated him, right? They were very jealous of him all the time. Okay. Um, what did they? What did they do to him? So they faked his death, but before they even decided to take his death, what did they want to do? They actually wanted to kill him, right? They wanted to kill him. And actually, if you read um, in Genesis, it says what they threw him into a pit. And as he was in the pit, screaming and, and, and afraid, and you, know, you can imagine like how you would feel if you're in a situation like that, they sat up at the top eating. They like had a meal while he was there in the pit. One of the things that you kind of get a sense of is how callous they were, how heartless they were, right? And at the end, um, they decided not to kill him, but instead they decided to do what? Sell him as a slave. And sell him, of course, he's gonna go somewhere and know it's gonna happen. They just wanted to get rid of him, right? So put yourself in his position for a moment. That experience by itself, if you don't, they don't count anything else that happened to Joseph later on in the story. 
that experience by itself, how do you think that would make you feel? And what long-term impact do you think that would have on you? Sorry? Betrayal, definitely betrayal. Traumatizing, yeah. So how do you think that would change you? Trust, right? Like you wouldn't want to trust people. Like these are the these are your closest family. And this isn't just one person. He had 10 other brothers that all agreed to do this thing. 10, right? So imagine you being in that position, right? Of Joseph. And you have all these people who are the closest people to you, and he loved them, right? He loved them. And actually, the reason he was going out to see them was because his father asked him to go and to see how they were doing. Okay. So there's that one incident. Very traumatizing, right? Very traumatizing. The feeling that they hate him, they reject him, they don't love him, they, 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 they don't want him around by any means. They just want to get rid of him. They can't stand his presence. Imagine how that would make you feel if the people who are closest to you did that to you. Okay. On top of that, okay, what happened to Joseph? What other hardships did Joseph experience in his life after this point? So we went to jail before you went to jail. Where did you go first? Potiphar's house, right? Potiphar. Potiphar was the captain of the guard. Okay, he went to his house to work as essentially a servant. Okay, and he he did a great job. He put all his effort and his energy into doing a great job, right? But then what happened to him? Yeah, she accused him of wanting to have an affair with, with, uh, with her, which was false, right? That's what she wanted. Um, and so Joseph, because he refused, because he maintained his integrity, and he refused to do that, he was uh, accused by Potiphar, kicked out of the house, and thrown into prison. Okay, so now you're in prison. So you have the first situation of being rejected by your family, being thrown into a well, and being sold into slaves. Then you have being falsely accused while you are trying to do your best as a servant in half of Then you have, I'm actually being thrown into a prison. And I, I can't imagine that the prisons were anywhere at night as the prisons that we have now, right? And the kind of quality of the prison. They don't care about human rights. They don't care about anyone's stuff. He's thrown into quality, okay? And he's with these other people there in the prison, okay? Then what happens? So, so who has a dream? Not Joseph. Before Pharaoh. Prisoners. The prisoners. They have dreams, right? There's two prisoners. There's the butler, okay? And there is the, um, the baker. The butler and the baker, okay? Who were thrown into prison by Pharaoh who were there within the prison. So um, Joseph, he interprets their dreams. And then after that, what happens is, uh, Pharaoh has a dream, and the butler is free. Actually, right? so before even Pharaoh has a dream, the butler is, is free. Both the baker and the butler are free. The butler lives, the baker dies. The butler, uh, Joseph told him, when you get out and you get your freedom, remember to be more Pharaoh so that he can come and he can free you from here, right? But what does the butler do? He forgets. He forgets. So he interpreted the dream of the butler, 
The buffer essentially just moves you. You know, I don't care so much about you. I just wanted to get out of the prison. I just wanted to know the two men who gave me what I wanted. I left. I totally forgot about it. So again, another case where he was being abused, where he was being misused, where he was being neglected, where he was very hurt, where people are showing him a complete lack of respect even of his humanity. Okay. Then finally, at the end, we know what happened where Pharaoh had a dream and he ended up bringing Joseph out of prison. And that's when everything changed for Joseph, right? Everything changed in that moment that God was preparing everything in his life to lead up to the moment where he became now the second ruler in Egypt so that he could mastermind his whole plan of how to save the world from them, okay? Overall, it, uh, Joseph spent 14 years from the time that he was stolen as a slave up until the time that he became like the ruler in Egypt, it was a period of 14 years. Okay. Would you think, if you put yourself in the position of Joseph, that now that you have been released and now that you have been uh, you know, promoted, that it's going to erase like the trauma that you experienced in those 14 years? It, it wouldn't. And people that go to war, for instance, you might be like a soldier in the war. And in the war, let's say you were never actually physically hurt, you were never shot, but the stress of being in the war itself, when the veterans come back, they have PTSD and they have to have therapy for the rest of their lives. Right? So the idea that the experiences that Joseph had were extremely painful, extremely difficult, and extremely debilitating. Like, I could imagine going through something like that for the rest of my life, I'll be like, unable to function. I'll be unable to trust people. I'll be unable to show love. I'll be unable to, like, to like even, even my self-image. When I look at myself and say, am I such a horrible person that everybody around me treats me like this? Imagine all of, like, the mental issues, the mental illnesses that one person could develop as a result of the way that Joseph was treated, okay? Um, so after all of that, we know that eventually Joseph is reunited again with his brothers. Okay, after a few times meeting them and they didn't recognize him, and eventually Joseph he reveals himself to his brothers. Okay, and here this is in Genesis 45, verse 2. Okay, how do you think Joseph felt about seeing his brothers? Angry, right? Wouldn't you be angry after seeing your brothers? After the, after all of this, what else could you feel? Okay, sadly, they didn't recognize him. They wouldn't even expect him to be alive. But yeah, they didn't recognize him. You think he would have missed them? You guys agree with that? Chris agrees. And Carol doesn't agree. <laughs> Revengeful. Carol, do you have, do you have something to say? Traumatized. Imagine, imagine you were abused by somebody as a child. Okay? For a really, really, really long time. And then for whatever reason, you don't see that person for 20 years. And now you have the opportunity to see this person again. Are you going to be looking forward to this? 
Are you looking forward to the idea that I'm not going to be now reunited with the person who abused me? Even if it wasn't there. You know, like maybe there's mixed emotions. You know, maybe part of me longs for a parent, but this person who abused me is not, is not the parent that I want. He's not, they're not the person that I want to spend my time with. And it's going to trigger me because the moment I even sense the idea, and you see that maybe I get tense, maybe I get like very nervous. Right? Because of, because of that. Hmm? Confused how to react for sure. Sorry? Mixed feelings. Mixed feelings, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But certainly not very friendly, you wouldn't think. Not very kind, necessarily. A, a lot of anger, okay? Um, let's see. One thing I do want to mention here is um, when Joseph was reunited with them, he was very emotional. And, and I don't make a distinction is that it is okay to be emotional, right? He was very, he was very like emotional having seen his brothers when he first recognized them, when he's revealing himself to them, he's very emotional, it says here in Genesis 45 too, and he wept aloud and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard, right? He was, he was very emotional, as one would expect, okay? Um, what do you think? Okay. How do you think Joseph changed as a result of how his brothers treated him? How do you think he changed? What does he say? First, he says, Please come near me. Come near to me. And then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, who you sold into Egypt. And look at the very first thing he says. Like he didn't even give them a chance to say anything. He says, but now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to, to preserve life. Do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. What do you think about that? Wise, okay. I want to say like maturity, when he went through that, he grew. Definitely, he grew. He understands the purpose of it. Okay, but let's say I come to you and I say, well. That person who used you for, for so many years, that actually built up your character. So it was a good thing. Does that make you suddenly emotionally well? You know, like it's easy to give the, the answer, right? But if we ourselves were in the position of Joseph, would it be so easy to say those answers? Like this man, he didn't even wait for them to apologize. Like it's one thing. You know, if somebody apologizes and then you say, well, you know what, you have to forgive and all that, right? They forgive. He didn't even give them a chance to apologize. He, didn't, he, is, he is worried about their feelings. He's worried about their feelings. He's not thinking about his feelings. He's not thinking about what is it that they did to me? What is it that they deserve? Why did this happen? He is not expressing any anger. He's not expressing hatred. He's not expressing revenge. He's, 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 he's concerned. That they are grieved. Why grieved? 
I'm sorry that you are grieved and to feel guilty. I don't want you even to feel guilty about what it is that you did, right? I don't even want you to be angry with yourself for what is it that you did. Why? Because this was all part of God's plan. Like very remarkable, very remarkable. Like he's not seeking anything for them, right? Also, he is not denying what happened. Like he's not delusional. You know, like sometimes when we go through traumatic experience, we block out memories. We block out certain things because it's like a self-defense mechanism. Something so painful happened to me, I can't even think about it. I can't even remember it. I can't even talk about it. It's like I completely even forget that it happened because it's so painful and difficult. Here, in verse 4, Joseph is very clear. He says, I'm Joseph, your brother, who was sold into Egypt. Like, I, he's acknowledging what they did. He knows exactly what they did. And yet, despite knowing everything they did, he's able to be so in a heartfelt way, like able to express this to them. And I would go a step further and say, this is beyond wisdom. Like, this is not, this is not the words of a man who thinks in his mind, what is the right thing that I need to say right now in order to say it? This is the words of a man who is completely healed. Like, this is a person who is emotionally healthy. This isn't a person who is struggling internally with himself. This is a person who has been for so many years already forgiven his brother, already sees the will of God, already is trusting in God's work in his life, is, is willing to accept anything that comes from God as good, to the point that when he was reunited again with his, uh, with his brothers, he doesn't have that turmoil inside of him. He doesn't even look at them with any kind of anger or spite or malice or anything, right? This is being emotionally healthy. Um, when we speak about mental health, we speak a lot about like the causes of mental illness. And we talk about how mental illness is a real disease, which it is, and something that can require uh, therapy and can require counseling and can require medication. Okay. But Joseph didn't need any of those things. Like he, he never, we never see Joseph break down. We never see him act out. We never see him get into a fit of rage. We never see him like, you know, collapse and be unable to function. Actually, he was working for 14 years on the, the seven years of famine and the seven years of plenty, managing the whole nation of Egypt, right? But we see in him someone who has been completely like has completely forgiven his brothers and sees no malice at all, right? And actually, he, he, he desires to be with them. He says, please come near to me. Come near me. I'm asking you, my abuser, come near to me. I want to be with you. I have completely forgiven you. I don't even see anything. I, 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 you owe me nothing. In fact, I feel like I owe you to tell you what. Do not be grieved or angry with yourselves for what you did. Because God intended it for good. This is beyond, like, like, this is beyond the health of a person who, you know, oftentimes when we have not gone through anything like this, and yet we treat each other with less respect and less kindness than Joseph is treating his brother. That is how emotionally healthy he was. Okay. How did Joseph find meaning to all that he experienced? And how did that help him? 
Yeah, very good, right? It is the it is the constant awareness of the presence of God at all times, without wavering, right? Because this is the first thing he says. God sent me here before you to preserve life. He's saying you are a tool that God used for the salvation of the world, just as he himself also was a tool, right? God used him as a tool which he had to experience suffering to fulfill the will of God. And his brothers were used as a tool, right, to be the ones to inflict that suffering. Does that mean that his brothers are innocent? No. God can use even the most wicked people to bring about his will. It doesn't mean that those wicked people are righteous. It doesn't mean that those wicked people are doing good. But that is the way that Joseph saw, right? When he looked at them, he did not see the, the individual wickedness of each one of them, although they did all act wickedly. He saw that God used this wickedness to bring about good. And the fact that the will of God was manifested, was, was realized for the good that came from it was far more important to him than the personal suffering he experienced for those 14 years. So the, but not just up here, you know, it's like we, when you go through a difficult circumstance, we're always trying to remind ourselves, like, you know, like, you know, the verse Romans 8.28, that says all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Okay? So you go through a difficult circumstance and your heart is like, you know, wrenching and in pain and suffering and you're afraid. And as Christians, we keep trying to remind ourselves of Romans 8.28, Romans 8.28, repeating it again and again and again. So maybe up here, we have faith, and we're trying to find reason. We're trying to find something to trust in the midst of the situation. But Joseph was not just... Joseph was not just, like, having a mental exercise. He had been so immersed in his faith in God that it's like he was not even moved. It's, it, nothing entered into him. Nothing truly harmed him. It's like God was a shield protecting him from the fiery arrows that are trying to stab him, that are trying to like wedge themselves into his heart and cause permanent long-term damage to him. But because of all times, he saw that God's will was being done. Okay? How did he see God's will being done? When he was in the pit, how did he see God's will being done? Did he kill him? So if you get mugged and sold as a slave on the slave market, you're going to say, well, you killed <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> right? 
Because if you ask Joseph why he is in the pit, why is this happening to you, Joseph? Is what answer is he going to give? I don't know why. I don't know why this is happening. I'm not God. I don't know why this is happening. Okay? When he is sold and enslaved, and he asks Joseph, Joseph, why are you sold and enslaved? What is his answer? Huh? His answer is, I don't know why I'm sold and enslaved. I was much happier before. Okay? And if you say, why are you going to tell me by Mary's wife? Of like trying to have a sexual relationship with her. I don't know why. Everything that I've done has been right. Everything that I've done has been horrible. Everything that I've done has been to follow God's commands and to be faithful. Why is this happening? I don't know. Right? When he's born in the prison, Joseph, why are you in prison? I don't know why he's in prison. So for those 20 years, I'm trying to answer is that for those 20 years, he didn't believe. And notice that God could have said something he never did. You know, if God had came to Joseph in the vision in the well when he was thrown in, and he said, Don't worry, Joseph, because this is the beginning of a long road of suffering for you, but in the end, something really good is going to come out. Just happy. We would all say, Okay, well, it would have still been really hard, you know, but at least I had something to hold with. At least I had some. Purpose and reason, some understanding of there's something good that can eventually come out of this, but Joseph didn't know anything. Right? When did Joseph realize that God was using this for good? Which name? So on the one sense, you can say, well, once he became promoted to be second in Egypt, then definitely everything kind of came together, right? But on another sense, you can say that Joseph knew all along, because we don't have to know, this is my, my point, we don't have to know the specifics, we don't have to know the details, we don't have to know why, but we just have to know that God is good. That God is good. And God does not allow bad things. Well, let me rephrase that. God turns all the bad things that happen to us to be for good. Because there are bad things in the world, obviously. There are bad things. God turns all of the bad things to be for good. That doesn't mean that they're not going to be there's not going to be suffering. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be pain. It doesn't mean there's not going to be fear. But it is then in those moments. That it falls on me to say, you know what? My faith tells me that God turns everything for good. And so you and I have no clue as to why this is happening. I trust that God is present and He is with that in itself is what protects us from severe mental illness. Because if I feel that I'm the victim and there is no purpose or sense to what's happening to me, and I'm experiencing such difficult things, and I feel completely alone, and I feel like there is no help, and I feel like there is nothing but injustice, then any of us would fall into extreme mental illness to experience that. But if I feel that I have never been left alone, if I feel like the person who is with me, guarding me, is stronger than the one who is against me, 
If I feel like there is some purpose to what's happening, and it's not just randomness, and it's not just aimlessness, if I really truly believe that, then like Joseph, okay, we can walk out of a situation like this much stronger, much more focused, with much more clarity, with a, with, 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 with a sense of confidence that even though, yes, it's horrible conditions that I have to live in, and yes, it pains my heart. Remember, Joseph's proud, right? It pains my heart for what's happened to me. But that pain does not consume me and destroy me from the inside. Right? That I can still be healthy mentally. I can still be healthy. In verse 7, it says, he goes on to describe this more. He says, and God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. So who is it that God wanted to save? Here, according to Joseph, when he says, and God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth, the brothers. This is why Joseph is a type of Christ. Joseph is a symbol of the Messiah. Because what did the Messiah do? Christ allowed himself to suffer at our own hands by us so that he could save us, right? We hurt him so that he could save us. That's exactly what is happening here. The brothers of Joseph represent, like the crucifiers of Christ, represent us, okay? And he's accepting this onto himself so that we ourselves could be saved. And Joseph, he's accepting that God is saving his brothers through him. You know, like we ask the question, like in Proverbs, when it says, why, why do the wicked prosper? King David wrote in the Psalms. You know, when he sees that his enemies are surrounding him and he sees that his enemies are prospering, he says, God, why are you allowing your enemies to prosper? Why are you not bringing them to justice? You know, why are you not destroying my enemies? We see the thing when people maybe will hurt us. God, why are you allowing them to succeed? Why don't you come and stop it, you know? But Joseph, he didn't do that. He didn't, he didn't try to find a reason to condemn his brother. Ever. Ever. Even after this point in time. Instead, he said, God, you, God allowed you to do this to me because you wanted to save me. Think about that. Like, God is using me to save those who harm me. Is that something even we would want? Maybe we, we struggle to forgive those who harmed us and who want their destruction. But Joseph is completely content to be the source of salvation for those who harm him. Okay. How did Joseph treat his brothers after this? Like after this meeting and this conversation, how did he treat them? Very well. How did he treat them well? He invited them back to do what? 
to bring the father and everyone and to do what? What? To live, to live in Egypt, right? He says what? You shall dwell in the land of those who shall be near to me. You and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all this that. You know, it's one thing if we manage to forgive someone who abuses us. But then to say, not only do I forgive you, not only do I want you to not be upset with yourself for what you did, but I'm going to give you gifts, and I'm going to bring you to come and live right next to you, and I'm going to celebrate you. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you more than you've ever had, had before, and more than you could have ever desired. Remember, Joseph was a type of Christ, right? Like this is what the Messiah does. This is what he does for us. He gives us more than we could ever imagine. He tells us some little, even though we are the ones who survive, right? This is the level of forgiveness. This is the level of internal peace that Joseph has. He gains nothing by them or their suffering. He doesn't want them to go back and live in their own homes again. You know what? We have a better place now to live. Come, you are my family. Come and live with me in Egypt. Okay. Um, and in verse 15, when he speaks about how did Joseph feel about his family, how did he feel about them? It says, moreover, he kissed all his brothers and left over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Again, it's one thing to force ourselves to give all the right answers. It's one thing to force ourselves to, to you know, say the right things. But it's quite another thing to be so emotionally connected in love with those people. Right? This, again, shows the, the mental health of, of Joseph. Like he, he, his his Faith in God all throughout this, God's presence with him all throughout this, making him out of this is like the most powerful man in He truly was the most powerful, not because Pharaoh gave him any authority. He had completely conquered the earth. He completely conquered his passion. He completely conquered like any temptation of hatred, right, toward anyone, okay, here. So I want to ask what keeps us? From being able to respond like Joseph whenever we have difficult experiences. Because that's the, the bottom line of this is to say, how is it that I, as a believer, can be so shielded, so protected, so at peace in the world that is full of such darkness, destruction, hatred, godlessness, personal attack, you know, neglect, rejection. Here, how is it that I can be as Joseph, right, having experienced this horrific thing and walk out of it like this, confidently and powerfully and faithfully? How is it that I can do the same? Keep your eyes on God. So, what does that look like? Good. So, God should be the number one target in our life at all times. And I'll tell you, because you guys like our apology, right? Most of you, it's easier to do this when you're young. 
it's easier to do this when you like people who grew up in the church or like in elementary school, you know, you don't have a lot going on. You know, you don't have a lot of stress for the most part, most kids, right? Nobody is asking of you to do much, but just live your life and have fun, you know? As you get older, then, then you begin to have these serious questions. How am I gonna live my life? Who am I gonna choose to be? Am I gonna be the person who, because I am going after my career, I'm gonna sacrifice everything else for the sake of my career? Am I gonna sacrifice my prayers for the sake of my career? I'm gonna sacrifice going to church for the sake of my career? I'm gonna sacrifice my service for the sake of my career? Or because of my friends? Or because of marriage? Or because of travel? Or because of whatever, fill in the blank? If I lose my focus on what is the most important thing in life, then I can no longer experience this. Because this requires that I am at all times remembering that I am living for God. Joseph never forgot this. He was living for God. That was it. It didn't matter when or where or what happened to him. He was living for God and he still was living for God. He didn't say when I got the part of his house, you know what? This is too stressful for me. Uh, part of his wife wants to have a relationship with me. Why not? How else am I going to get married? I'm not going to get married. I'm not a servant. Maybe, maybe this is a noise. Maybe this is something that's like, it's good. It's going to help me. Maybe the way that we self-destruct by going after sin because we are stressed and have difficult situations, that we, we begin to pursue things that are away from God, that are against God. And in that, we lose ourselves. We lose our identity. We lose who we are. And we lose the ability to remain grounded and want to walk with the way Joseph was. Because instead of like attaching ourselves to God who is unchanging, unwavering, and that I always remind myself that I am attached to Him and nothing can touch me, instead we attach ourselves to every manner of other things instead of Him. And so we lose that focus, right? This is very important as our responsibilities increase, as our stress increases, as all kinds of manner of problems that we have to start dealing with more and more in our life increases. It's so important that we make a conscious decision to say that God is the number one thing. God is the focus. Everything else is secondary. Everything else doesn't matter compared to God. Because my goal is not to live in this world. That, that is not my goal. Like, I use this example. Imagine you are traveling from Houston. Where's the place that's really good that you guys want to go? Where's the nice place to go? Hawaii. It's going to be hard to get there by car, but. Let's switch somewhere you can go on to Disney. Florida? Is that good? Okay, let's see. Let's say you're going to go to Florida. Let's say you're going to go to Destin to get nice beaches, right? So you get in your car and you start driving. And move in your mind, I want to go to Dusty Florida. But after a while, as you're driving, 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 it's a long drive, you start to get fatigued and you start to get tired. And so you want to eat the rest of the way. So I find like a city along the way and I decide to spend the night there. And while I'm there in that city, I start to look and see all the things in that city. There's all these cool stuff there for me to do. 
Maybe there's amusement parks, restaurants, fun things that I want to do. And all the time, you know, I say, you know, maybe we should just stay here one more day. Just stay one more day here. Okay, so stay one more day. And if you need to do more and more and more things. After a while, you forget that you are originally even traveling close to this. Like you, you forget that you are you're even on a journey to go somewhere because you are so contented with the place where you are right now. And so you decide, you know what, I'm not going to even continue traveling. I'm just going to, I'm going to buy a house here in this place, and I'm going to just enjoy my life here. Completely forget where I'm going. And that is what we do. We forget that everything we're doing here is just as a journey. We are on a journey. We are traveling, right? That's why we say we are sojourners, right? Sojourners means we are traveling. We are traveling to somewhere. And if I always remember that I'm traveling, every decision I make will be with the context of that journey. Okay, I stop to eat because I have to. Why? Because I need to get to where I'm going. I don't stop to enjoy the sleep. And this is unfortunately what happens to us. Our goal changes from being with God to having a good time here. Because we have that focus of I want to have a good time here, we are so susceptible to everything that happened here. If I lose some money, it's a horrible catastrophe. Why? Because I need money to live here. Okay? But if my focus is I want to live in heaven, whether I lose a little bit of money or not, it's not a big deal. Okay, money is a currency that is not accepted in heaven. You know, it's kind of like when you go to one of those places where you can do like tokens, and when you go out the door, the tokens are worthless. The tokens have no value anymore outside of the real world. Yeah, you, yeah, you go to Chuck E. Cheese. And the tokens are so valuable, right? Because you want to play this game in that game. And then, and then whatever tokens you have left, you walk out and you're like, okay, you know, these are workers. They don't they don't believe in outside. The same is true with the currency of, of earth. And by currency of earth, I don't just mean the money. I mean everything that is of value on earth is not valuable to them. So the more I have of what is on earth, the more time that I spend to gain that which is on earth is wasted. Again, we must make a living. We must survive here. It is by necessity that we live. It is by necessity that we earn money. It's by necessity that we work. It's by necessity. But let it be because of necessity, right? <clears throat> My true love is to be with the Lord. And if I have to do certain things because I have to survive, because I have a body, then let it, okay, that's fine. Let it be done. But don't camp here. Don't camp and say, you know what? This is my this is my life now. Joseph, it didn't matter where he was. He could have been with his father, living in comfort, having a tunic of many colors, even if by his father and happy that his father is treating him so well. Or it could be in a well, or it could be in Potter's house, it could be in jail, it could be in Egypt. It didn't matter where it was, he was the same person. He was the same person the entire time. He was a very simple man. He had one focus, one thought process, one decision-making process, one goal, one desire. Everything was one. How many desires and goals and things do we have in our life? Maybe sometimes when I'm in church, I have one goal and desire. When I'm at work, I have a different goal and desire. When I'm with a certain group of friends, I talk a certain way, I have a certain group of goal and desire. When I'm with another group of friends, it changes again. We are complicated, right? Complicated because we are spread out, we are pulled in every direction, we have so many conflicting 
um, grows with conflicting desires. But Joseph, no, he was, he was one, he was simple. And because of that, because he placed God always before him all the time, he, he was not affected by it. What else? What else will keep us or allow us to be able to respond like Joseph? So speak. Okay, expand. Not reacting quickly. Good. Um, also, after that, quick to forgive. Right? Our society, you know, like the cancel culture, says if anyone makes any mistake in their life, no matter how long ago it was, and no matter what it was about, I can bring it up and use it against you. And I can seek to destroy you because of it. As though the person making the accusation has never made a mistake. Right? The, the idea that someone is wrong justifies me to attack them. The idea that someone's idea is wrong justifies me to mock them into the culture. Right? No. Right? It is possible for a person to be wrong and to be a sinner and to have made mistakes and yet for me to still love them and for me to still accept them and for me to forgive them. It is possible. And actually, if I put it in my mind, remember, we are the body of Christ. The body is one. Going back to the idea of one. Right? We are unity. We are one. Salvation is for the body. We will speak about salvation. The salvation is for the body. That's why when we come to the church as the body of Christ, when we partake of communion, we are united together as one and completed for our salvation, we are saved together. But what happens when the individual parts of the body begin to war against one another? What happens to the body? You know what happens to real body when it begins to war against one another? Kills, but that's what cancer is. And cancer is the body fighting itself. You know, an autoimmune disease, the body kills itself when we fight against one another. So if I'm focusing all of my effort on who was right, who was wrong, who said this, why did this happen, and you know, making like all of these factions and clicks and teams and, and you know, and just warring against one another in our minds, right? We cannot have this. We can have this forgiveness. We can now have this love that Joseph has. Okay. What else? Understanding living by the fear that God is going to make everything bad our eyes at some point come. But right now, there's just some house. Hey, we believe that we believe that what God said is true. We, we, we believe that it's true. And when we say that we have faith in God, what we don't mean is that we have faith in a certain outcome. You know, because like sometimes let's say you're praying for a family member who's very sick and you want God to heal this person. And you pray and you pray and you pray and you ask all the priests to pray and you put their name on the altar and you light candles and you you make vows to God and you, you do everything. 
and then at the end that person dies. What does that do to our faith? What is it that I have faith in? That I have faith that God must obey my desire? That I have faith that he must do according to what I think should be done? And if he doesn't do it, then he's not good. That's not what we mean when we say I have faith. Yes, we believe God can. God can do anything. But that doesn't mean that God is going to do anything because it doesn't mean that anything that I think is good is actually good. If you want to ask Joseph at the beginning of his journey, you think, Joseph, do you want to be rejected by your brother's woman to appear so as a slave, go to prison, and falsely accused? No. I don't want to do that. Even if you end up being the second in Egypt at the end, I don't know. If it were me, I would probably say no. I don't want to do it. I have nothing to do with that. Just leave it alone. But that's because I don't know what's good. God knows what's good. He doesn't know what's good. We are never going to consciously win and go into something that's beautiful. But God says that we are purified by the fire. Right? And the fire is painful. So to have faith means to trust in the character of God. I trust that God is good and that whatever he does is good. So we don't have to worry about the details. We don't have to think about the details. You know, like little kids, they don't know anything. The only thing they care about is that they're with their, they're with their parents. If I'm with my parents, if I'm holding my mom's hand or my dad's hand, I can be in a completely strange place and I'm not afraid. You know, these are little kids in the car and they have no idea where they're going. But as long as the parent is there, we will see. Right? We are the other hand the opposite. We don't care if our parents are there or not. We just want to know where we're going and how long it will take to get there and what are we doing with it and what happens if this and that. And every possible question you can imagine, right? God, that's why He says, what well, in order for us to go to heaven, we have to be converted like little children. He wants us to have the faith of children. It doesn't matter where we're going, it doesn't matter the details. All that matters is that my father is with me. That is the true faith, right? If we can have that faith, if we ask God for this faith, then again, maybe we can be like Joseph. All of this is to say what? Life is full of so much darkness. Darkness. And we have all experienced part of it. We've all seen slices of it. Difficult challenges in our life, and fears, concerns, and all kinds of stuff. If we know this, and if we believe that God is powerful and He is with us, then we can go through this life unafraid, without back to the idea of mental illness. Without, and I'm not trying to say anything 100%. Uh, I'm not trying to say that it's like, okay, you know, we this something, we need this place. But we'll be much more protected from the debilitating effects of anxiety and stress and fear. Because we always feel that God is present with us all the time, that our focus is on Him. But if we take our eyes off of this, just like King Peter, when he was walking on the water, as long as he looked at Christ, he was safe and he felt at ease. Nothing changed actually about his situation. You know, like when he was walking on the water, he was in the middle of a storm, and it was a dangerous storm, and there was dangerous waves, and he could die at any moment. But because he saw Christ in front of him, and because he worked with Christ, he was unafraid. It didn't, it didn't matter that those things were happening because he was looking at Christ. But when he turned his eyes and he began to look at the world, 
about the wind and the waves and so on. That's how he began to be afraid, even though the situation didn't change. And that's when he began to drown. Okay? The same is true with us. The world is the world. We can't change the world. This is the fact of life. This is the world that we're in. And actually, God promises that the world is going to get worse. It's not going to get better. So if I look at this world, and I look at it and say, there's no way without God working in my life that I can successfully navigate this world. It is too difficult. It is beyond me. I am too powerless to navigate the world with, with mental health. I'm too, too powerless to navigate the world without freaking out. So I look to God and say, God, you need my sustainer, you need my supporter, and I'm going to only focus on you to take care of everything. Okay? That is how a person is able to navigate. That's how a person would push through the bridge. Some of you might have seen this video clip. You know, Bushido was an exile. Okay? During the time where Sadat was a president, he put Koshnuda into exile in the monastery. And he could not leave for several years. And after he uh, Sadat was assassinated, uh, all of the uh, Koshnuda came out of the monastery, okay, who was now restored again as, as Pope because Sadat actually had removed it his enthusiastic word. He had assigned other bishops to be kind of like the Pope instead of him. And 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 Koshnuda was like helpless. There was nothing he could do. When he was released, okay, from the monastery, all of these international news media, because it was like an international news media assassination of the president of Egypt, and all these news media came to him. And there's a video of this on YouTube. And one of the reporters, she asked him, are you happy now that you are out of the monastery, that you are free? And his response kind of like made everybody like confused. Like all these people, he was like, I was happy in the monastery, and I'm happy outside of the monastery, and I'm happy no matter where I, where I am or where I go. I'm, I'm always happy, I'm always thankful to God. And like the, the women, she was like, she could always sense that she was like frustrated by the answer. Like, what, what are you talking about? Like, that's not what she was looking for, you know? But he said it with such like ease, you know, that it really makes you feel the only way that a person. Can really successfully navigate this world and be healthy is to have God in your life. Any other final comments or questions? Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O God, because of your goodness, and that at all times you are present and available with us in everything that we do and everywhere that we go. We ask, O Lord, that you open our eyes so that we can pay attention to your presence, that we can be aware of your presence, that we can hear your voice calling out to us so that we would not be so distracted with all of the other things of this life that attract our attention. Teach us to God how to only love you and nothing else. Teach us to God how to consecrate ourselves for you and nothing else. Teach us to God how to navigate all of the darkness and the ungodliness and the wickedness that is in this world while protecting our faith, while protecting our mind and our hearts. Teach us, O Lord, how to walk with you and be thankful because you have turned everything in this world, no matter how wicked it might be, that you promise to turn it into good for us. Teach us to be like Joseph who waits upon you even for decades and trust in you 
that whatever you are about in our life is for our ultimate good, and that you would grant us success, not only externally in the things that we do, in the projects that we work on, the work that we have, and the relationships that we have, but that you would grant us what is even more important, which is victory that is eternal. Victory that is of peace, that is of harmony, that is of patience, that is of goodness, that dwells in us, that your life may dwell in us, and that we will be able to light the darkness. Through the prayers of St. Mary, our teacher, Michael, and Paul St. Mark, and on your seat, here as we pray thankfully, our Father, Lord in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. The love of God, the Father, the grace of the Lord, the God, the Son, and the Lord God, and Savior Jesus Christ, and the community of the Holy Spirit, and the Lord, and the peace, the peace of the Lord, and the glory.